0: Okay, if you would, turn your Bibles to John chapter 14 as we continue in this last evening of Jesus' ministry to His disciples prior to His death on the cross. It seems like that at this point we've left the, the, the home where they had the Lord's Supper and we've, uh, we've gone over to the Mount of Olives. So I believe most of this teaching here that we've been doing in the last chapter or so has been from the Mount of Olives it was a place where Jesus liked to go with his disciples, and so more, more than likely this is the, 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 the location of what we're studying today, and it is in the evening of Thursday evening prior to his uh, rest and then his trial upcoming on Friday and his, crucif- his crucifixion. So this morning, we're going to be looking at chapter 14, verses 16 through 31. I'm going to read those verses, and then we'll kind of just break them down verse by verse. It's basically three sections in this, in this, uh, in this part of Scripture that we're going to be looking at, all dealing with the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and so it's something that we really need to, to know and understand. Beginning in verse 16 of chapter 14, it says, "...and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He may be with you forever." That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will behold me no more, but you will behold me because I live. You shall live also. In that day, you shall know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. He who has my He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that we that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your members all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes to pass that when it comes to pass, you may believe. I will not speak much more with you for the ruler of this of the world is coming and he has nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do arise, let us go from here. Okay, so here again, Jesus is dealing with His disciples. This is on the evening that He's fixing to be betrayed and be arrested. He is then going to be crucified and resurrected, and then 10 days later He's going to ascend into heaven to go back to His Father's house. So He's given them this instruction about things that He is going to be doing in the near few days. And He started out this chapter by saying, Let not your heart be troubled in verse 1, because He is going back to his father's place. So Jesus as the Son of Man came down from heaven and became the incarnated word and became a man and he has done the ministry that he came to do, which was to establish the truth of him being the king and the Messiah, establishing the truth that the the disciples that he has called and is going to commission as his apostles to lay the foundation of the church, and then he's going to return as God into heaven, as the God-man, to take back His place in heaven in glory, awaiting the time when He's going to come again to fulfill all things that were promised at the second advent. So that's what He's telling the disciples. And it's obvious that they don't get it. They don't understand all the things. But He gives us this information that when He leaves, He's going to leave them with the Holy Spirit. So the first thing we want to talk about is the fact in verse 16 that He makes them two promises. One is that they're going to receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit will be with them forever. That means that the presence of God is going to be with us who are born in Christ forever. So that's going to go from from the time that we're on earth until we go to heaven and then during the millennial kingdom and then forever in the eternal order with the new heaven, new earth, the Spirit of God is going to permanently indwell all those who are in Christ. Okay, So that's what he says, first of all. Now, he makes it clear that when he goes away, he's going to give us another helper. The word helper there is the word paraclete. It means one who is by your side, one who is to advise and to guide you, one who is to take care of you. So he is leaving the Holy Spirit to do the same thing that Jesus did when he was there. So when Jesus was there with them, Jesus was their comforter, he was their helper, he was their guide, he was their instructor, he shared with them the revelation from the Father, so all that they had need of, they listened to Jesus and He provided for them. And so what He's saying is, when I go away, I'm going to send you another helper that's going to do the same kind of ministry in you that I accomplished in you, but it will be for all those who are in Christ. Whereas Jesus was limited because of His humanity, He couldn't be at all places at all times, He couldn't minister the whole church, the whole body of Christ all over the world if He was here on earth, but His Holy Spirit can because the Holy Spirit is going to indwell all of those. Now, when we talk about this indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we're talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit that is going to be unique and different and new at this time. A lot of people get confused over the concept of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. It is not salvation. Make sure you understand that. There is a work of regeneration that is called the baptism into Christ, and we look at that in Romans chapter 6. It is our identification with His death and burial and resurrection, Identify our identification with His carrying our sin to the cross. So in Romans chapter 6, When he's talking about this grace that's been given to us that gives us eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, he says in verse 1 of chapter 6, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus, who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, have been baptized into His death? Therefore we have, been, we have been buried with Him through baptism into death, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Now here he's not talking about spirit baptism. He's talking about us being immersed into Christ. We who were dead in trespasses and sins have now, when Christ went to the cross and our sins were nailed to with Him at the cross, our payment has been paid at the cross. And if we have been identified with Christ in this way, then we have been declared righteous because His righteousness has been granted to us. We have been given life. So at the time of our new birth, the Spirit of God regenerates our nature, our hearts, and we are made in the likeness of God, and we are declared to be righteous because the 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 nature of God will always have faith in God. So the gift of faith is included in our new being, our new soul that's born of God. And so now that we are born of God and have been declared to be righteous, it is because we have been identified with Christ on the cross. Our sin was with Christ on the cross. And it was nailed to the cross. He died for our sin. And when He rose again, He rose for our justification. So that is the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit to identify us as being in Christ in salvation. That is not the work of spirit baptism. So when Jesus is going away in Acts chapter 1 and he's, He's fixing to ascend into heaven, He talks about the promise that John the Baptist had first mentioned about the one that was coming would baptize them with the Spirit. And Jesus identifies this and makes it clear to these disciples that this is going to happen but it hasn't happened yet. So these disciples who have been baptized into His death have not been baptized with the Spirit yet. Okay? So in, in Acts chapter 1, when He says, they were gathered together, and he, was, he commanded them in verse 4 not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which He said, You heard of from Me, for John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So this future coming of this work of of the Spirit's indwelling in a permanent way was unique and new. In the Old Testament, different people had the Spirit come upon them at different times to do specific works, but they were not permanently indwelled with the Spirit. This baptism of the Spirit, this indwelling with the Spirit, this identification as the body of Christ, because we have the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit, was new and it was unique to the church. Now, this will also happen, it seems to be clear, it will happen to the Jews during the Millennial Kingdom when they will all know Him like we know Him. That's why uh, when Peter is at Pentecost and he talks about this event of them speaking in languages as a a testimony or as an outward sign of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he quotes from Joel when he says that in the New Covenant with Israel, they too will know Him and his, his heart, His laws will be written on their heart. And it seems to indicate that the same thing that happened at Pentecost will happen to the Jews during the Millennium Kingdom. But that is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, not the salvation. Does anybody got a question about that? So when Jesus is talking about the coming of the Spirit here to His disciples, He's talking about the coming work of the baptism or the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Okay. So He goes on down there and He says, and when this happens it will be forever. And then He says in verse 17 that the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and shall be in you. Okay, so the world cannot receive this baptism. He's speaking about the unbelieving world. There is no ministry of the Holy Spirit that will be like this to the unbelieving world. In fact, the only ministry that the Holy Spirit has for the unbelieving world is one of of proclaiming their Condemnation, which we'll see in chapter seventeen, or their work of bringing them to life in regeneration. So, to an unbeliever, the Spirit of God will either declare condemnation and judgment upon you, or He will bring you to life by the by the being born again or the regenerating work of His Spirit. For all those who are chosen before the foundation of the world, they will be, they are predestined to be born of the Spirit at some point in their life. And that will be the ministry of the Holy Spirit to unbelievers is it's either to bring them to life, and or to condemn them because of their uh, unfaith, because of their unbelief. And so that's that's the two things that the, that the world will receive of the Holy Spirit is that. But for those who have been born again, they now have a permanent dwelling of the Holy Spirit that's coming upon them. And like He says, there He is by you with you now. So what they, what Jesus is saying is, while they were walking with the Lord Jesus Christ, they were being ministered to by the, the work of the Holy Spirit, who empowered Christ to do His, His work, to do His miracles and things, was done by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit of God was with them as Christ was with them, but when Christ leaves, the Spirit of God will now be within them. So a the whole different change in the way that this is going to work, but that is the understanding that we have. Okay? Now he says... I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. In other words, when Jesus says that, He says, I'm going away to my Father's house, but I will not leave you unaccompanied. Which means that while we are here waiting on His return for us, He's not going to leave us as child as orphans without any caretaker. He's going to send the, the Holy Spirit to be our caretaker until He comes again to receive us back to Himself. Okay? So you're not going to be left without any power, without any ministry of the, the Spirit of God, as he goes away, he's going to send his helper to be there so that the Spirit of God will, will keep us in the faith, preserve us, and persevere us through the faith until he comes again to receive him back to himself. Okay. It says in verse 20, And that day you shall know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Now that day He's talking about here I believe is the day of Pentecost, not the day that He comes back and receives us Himself because we already know that by faith. I think what you see is that at the time of Pentecost there is a transformation in the the disciples. Now Jesus has commissioned them to become the apostles to lay the foundation for the church, but that doesn't happen until Pentecost. Now He told them to wait in Acts chapter 1, He told them to wait until the Spirit of God would come upon them. And then he says in verse verse 8 of chapter 1 of Acts, he said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. So what he's saying there is until you have the Spirit of God indwelling you, you're going to be powerless to be my witnesses. Now what happened to the apostles... When they came and arrested Jesus, what did they do? They scattered, they fled, they had no power. They were powerless because they didn't, they didn't, they didn't understand, they didn't have the presence of God with them in that sense, and they were powerless. But the main thing that they were powerless is to be able to overcome sin. In the Old Testament, the people that were born of God, they would continually be going back to the temple every year and ever so often to do sacrifices because they were powerless to overcome sin because they had no spirit of God living within them. They had the commandments of God, and they knew what to do and what not to do, but they had no power to not accomplish the commandments of God. And so even though they were devout and they believed God and they were faithful to offer sacrifices, they had no power to overcome sin. So the thing with the Holy Spirit, who lives within us now, is when we walk in the Spirit, what do we do? When we're walking in the Spirit, we do not do not do the deeds of the flesh. So if we're walking in the Spirit, we have power to overcome the flesh. But if we're walking in the flesh, then we do the things of the flesh, But now we have the ability to walk in the Spirit, which they didn't have before. We have the ability to walk in the Spirit, to be Spirit-filled. Now what does it mean to be Spirit-filled? The the analogy in Ephesians is don't be drunk with wine. What does wine do when you're drunk with wine? It controls your thoughts. It controls your actions. It controls your ability to, to walk or to stand or to speak. So he's using that analogy to say do not be controlled by wine but be ye filled or controlled by the Holy Spirit. So that if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, then we are walking in the Spirit, and the Spirit is controlling our thoughts, He's controlling our actions, He's controlling the way we live, so that we will not indulge ourselves into the flesh. And so if we're walking in the Spirit, we're not going to be doing the things that are wrong, and not be caught up in the things of the flesh, but we will be fulfilling the commandment of God to be faithful and to walk according to righteousness. Now, they had no power to do that until the Spirit of God came upon them. So when the Spirit of God came upon them, now they have power to be witnesses. Now, why is it important that you have power to be witnesses? You're going to be telling about the power of God to save you from your sin and that when Jesus died on the cross, He he saved you from sin. So if if you are walking along without the Spirit... Are you not being controlled by the Spirit and you're telling someone that God has the power to save you from sin and you're a drunk? Or you're in all kinds of immorality and you're telling somebody that Jesus has the power to save you from sin and they're looking at you, you are giving testimony that Jesus can save me from my sins and He can't even deliver you from your drunkenness, He can't even deliver you from your immorality, He can't deliver you from your your own life? and yet you're telling me that Jesus can save me? So you're not going to be a powerful witness for the salvation of Jesus Christ if you're not being controlled by the Spirit. If you don't have something about your life that causes people to say, what is it about you that is different than everybody else? That's how we're supposed to be witnesses in the world, is we're supposed to live our lives, and our lives are so completely different than the world's lives that the world is looking at us and saying, there's something about you. What is it? And so when they ask that question, you say, it's the grace of God through Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. He died for my sins. He has saved me. I have eternal life because of Him. And now I walk with the Spirit of God in fullness of life because of what Jesus Christ did to me. And I give a testimony that is valid or validated by my life. My life is empowered by the Spirit of God, and so my testimony is is validated." And that's why Jesus told them to wait as His prepared apostles, to wait for the Spirit of God to come upon them. And when the Spirit of God came upon them, they had power. That's what they demonstrated at Pentecost. These fishermen, these people that were supposedly ignorant, they weren't taught by the Pharisees. They weren't taught by the scribes. They had no background. And the scribes and the Pharisees were amazed that they got up on Pentecost and they declared with power the truth of God. It was because they were controlled by the Spirit of God. And that's what Jesus told them to wait for, to do. Okay. So in that day, and I think it was in that day at Pentecost, when they were indwelled by the Spirit of God, that they understood all the things that Jesus taught them. And we'll see that here in a minute when he talks about the Spirit of God bringing to remembrance all the things that Jesus taught them. So they had all the knowledge that Jesus gave them. They had all the things that Jesus spoke to them, but they didn't understand it. They didn't understand it. They didn't understand all the things that were going to happen, okay? So in verse 21, he says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. So here he is, he's talking about the fact that he gives us commandments, and this commandment is that uh, we would love one another. And so the love is the the main thing that we have as a testimony that we are the children of God and we are his disciples. And he and he carries this quite a bit uh, in in a lot of different ways. Now, in 1 John Well, first of all, in the last the last chapter we were in before we came to chapter 14 and chapter 13, when he when he gives them a new commandment there before they go out before they go and um, go out to the mount of olives He says in verse 34 of chapter 13, John, a new commandment I give you that you love one another even as I have loved you and that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So he gives them this commandment that is going to be the the primary, the way people in the world throughout the church age are going to know that people are the disciples of Christ because of the love they share with other people that claim to be disciples of Christ. So as we walk through this world and we join a local church, and the way we love each other in the local church gives a testimony, a clear testimony, that we are truly the disciples of Christ. If we have a church that claims to be a Christian church, and there is no love for one another in that church, and there's no demonstration of God's love and grace in the midst of our fellowship, it is not giving a true picture of the love of Christ. Now when John wrote the epistles that he wrote, the first, and especially in 1 John, he gives further indication about the fact that you can only demonstrate that you are the disciples of God by keeping His commandments, and the main one is the love that he talked about there. But in 1 John, as you go through the, the book of 1 John, and you get the understanding that he wrote the whole book of 1 John to give you assurance that you have been born of God and you have eternal life. That, that's the whole reason that he wrote the book of 1 John is so that you could have an objective word of God about your condition that you claim to be born again. again. And if this is true, that you have been born of God, these certain things will be true about you. So there's tests that you would look at in your life to determine if objectively you are a child of God or not. And that's the whole point of the book of 1 John is so that you might know, not subjectively, but objectively that you are a child of God and you have been born of God. Have any of you ever had doubts about your salvation? Has anybody has anybody never had a doubt about your salvation? I think it's true that we have all had doubts about our salvation. Is it real? Is, is my salvation real? Well, to me, if you go through and you study the Book of First John, it is one of the most assuring passages of Scripture that we can go to to understand, because it lays it out clearly. If the Bible says, if this is true about you, and you have to do the self-evaluation. Is, is this true about me? If this is true about you, then you have been born of God. If this is not true about you, you have not been born of God. And so that's what he does. And so there's several things that he talks about, and, and about most of it is about obeying God's commands. But he says in verse chapter 2, chapter two of 1 John, in verse 3, he says, And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep His commandments. The one who says, I have come to know Him, and does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps His word, in him the love of God has been truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in Him. Now, when you're evaluating that, and it says, if we keep His commandments. Now, what, the first thing you're going to say is, well, I try, but I don't do it very well. So therefore, does that mean I'm not born again? Okay, so that's what you have to you have to understand. And you have to look at the script. So we go over to chapter to chapter three, of First John. First of all, he says, in verse seven, or verse six, no one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Now that's a confusing statement because we do sin, and yet we claim to know him, right? Then he he says, uh, in verse 7, Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, that he might destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin, because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. What happens when you're born again? What happens? What changes? What changes in you as a living soul or eternal soul? What happens in you when you're born of God? Huh? Your nature changes. You have God's nature put in you. You are a new man. That that becomes who you really are. So you were created just like Adam and Eve were created and God breathed into them the breath of life and they became a living soul. What is a living soul? A living soul means that as people, as humanity, God created humanity in the image of God. He created humanity with a soul that will exist forever. Unlike the animals, sorry about your pets, but unlike the animals, man has a soul that will live forever. So when God created Adam and Eve, they were living souls, They were innocent and perfect in their standing before God. They had no internal desire to commit sin. It had to be an external temptation for them to sin. But they were created in a state that they were innocent before God in a righteous setting, in a righteous standing. But they had an allowance because in their state they could sin. And when they sinned, what happened? But what happened when Adam sinned to them, to Adam and Eve? it it carried over to all of us, but what happened when they sinned? They died, not physically. So the death he was talking about was not a physical death, it was a spiritual death. So they died. That means they were separated from God's righteousness, from God's likeness in the sense of His nature, of his, His righteous standing. They had no longer a right to stand before God, and they were thrown into a state of condemnation of sin. So they had no nature within them that was righteous. They had a nature that was depraved or sinful, and so God had to come and give them a new nature, and He did that. And then He killed an animal and covered them with skin showing that there had to be a coming sacrifice to take care of that sin. He couldn't just give them righteousness without paying for their sin because He's a just God. But he killed an animal to demonstrate that there was coming a righteous shedding of blood that would take care of their sin. And so that gave indication that God had created a new life within them. And that new life he created is his seed or his nature or his likeness in them in a perfect standing. And so when you are born again, that nature that was dead in trespassing sins, that was in darkness, that was... uh, under total condemnation, that nature is now, in that living soul, that nature is now made alive to God in the likeness of God and is perfectly holy. So in the nature that you receive at the new birth, that is the real you, that is who you are, but you still have this body of flesh. But that nature is perfect and holy and righteous. And so in that nature you cannot sin. So it says here, no one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him. So because that nature is holy and of God, you cannot sin when acting out of that new nature. You sin by acting out of the flesh. So what he's saying is, when you go back to 1 John chapter 2, And he says, no one who says, I come to know him and does not keep his commandments, is a liar and the truth is not in him. Uh, What he's saying is, if your heart's desire flows out of a nature that's been changed by God and it is to live holy, and when we fail, we repent of our sins and are burdened by our sins because it is not who we are. It is contrary to who we are and it is in our flesh that we sin. And so when 1 John is talking about that, the one who practices righteousness is righteous, he's saying that practicing righteousness means that we have a desire to live righteous. It flows out of our nature that's been created by God, and we now desire to walk in the Spirit and to fulfill the righteous standing that God has given to us. Doesn't mean we're perfect because we're still in the flesh. As long as we're in the flesh, we're not going to be perfect. But if we've been born again, we have a perfect nature within us that causes us not to desire to live in sin. Now, we fail, but we don't have that nature. He goes on and says in verse 23 of the same chapter of John, First John, and this is His commandment that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He commanded us. And the one who keeps His commandments abides in Him, and He in Him. And we know by this that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. So the Spirit who has given us bears witness that we are His... And that that communes with our new nature that is of God. So the Spirit of God communes with our new nature to give us peace and comfort and joy and the fruit of the Spirit because it flows out of that new nature with the Spirit of God in us and controlling us. And it manifests itself that we are the children of God. Then he goes on into uh, 1 John verse uh, 5, verse 1, it says, whoever believes that Jesus is, is the Christ is born of Him, God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child, born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments. For this is the love of God, the, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So how do we overcome the world? Because we have the power of God in us through the Spirit of God to not sin. We have the power to not sin. And by our faith in Christ and our submission to the Spirit of God and our repentance, we are filled with the Spirit. And with the filling of the Spirit comes the ability to control our lust and to control our flesh and to live out the reality that God is in us. And so now we have the power to overcome sin and overcome the world because we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and have been born again and are saved and now have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Any questions? Any thoughts concerning that? Now, Jesus is speaking to his disciples who don't understand any of this is coming. They don't understand what it means to be filled, with this, to be uh, indwelled by the Spirit of God, but they have this promise from Jesus that's going to happen. But it hasn't happened yet, and so they're still. Uh, somewhat limited in their understanding of that. Now, so when he says that last statement in verse 21, he says, I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other Judas, had said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? So what are the disciples as Jews looking for? In Jesus. Let's go, go back to Acts chapter 1. And this is their whole mindset the whole time when they understand that He is the promised one, that He is the Messiah, that He is the, the, the Son of David. What is their whole goal and mindset? Is it about the church? No. It's about the kingdom. Look what they say right before, and this is is after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, they're still in this mindset. And look at what they say in verse 6 of chapter 1 of Acts. And so when they had come together and they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? So their whole mindset is still, he's the Messiah, he's the son of David, he is going to fulfill the promise of the kingdom. And so when Jesus is talking to them about this, about he's going away, and then he's talking about he's going to disclose himself to them through this working of the Holy Spirit, they're still thinking, well, wait a minute. You're going to be disclosed to the whole world as the king of kings and lord of lords. They're all going to see you. They're all going to know that you're king. So what does it mean when you say you're only going to disclose it to us? Is it going to be a secret kingdom? A secret kingdom? Is it going to be some? It This doesn't compute because... They understand that if he's the king of Israel and the king of the world, he's going to be disclosed to everybody. So that's what they're thinking is. And Jesus says, he, gets, he keeps t- going back to this mindset of what's coming because they're going to be the apostles for the church and the establishment of the church age. The kingdom is coming, but it's not for them to know when. For right now, he's preparing them to be his apostles to lay the foundation for his church. And they won't get that and they won't understand that until after the Ascension and then after the day of Pentecost when they're filled with the Holy Spirit and then everything comes clear to them. Okay, so Jesus answered and said to them, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words and the word which you hear is not mine but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. Now, I've spoken to you about the truth that I am in the Father and the Father's in me. I'm speaking to you about the truth that we have fellowship one with another, which is exactly what he says in 1 John 1. And there's a lot of comparisons with 1 John and the epistle of John because the same author, and he's reiterating some of the same truths. But in 1 John chapter 1, talking about this fellowship or this participation into Christ, he goes in, in verse 1 of chapter 1 of First John, he says, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we beheld and our hands handled concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifest to us. And we have seen and heard, and we proclaim to you also that you also have, may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ, And these things we write that our joy may be made complete. So what he starts out in the book of 1 John is that we have a fellowship. That word fellowship means we are participants in the same things. We have seen the the Son. We've seen the Word manifest in the flesh. We have beheld Him. We have been taught by Him. And now our fellowship is with the Father and the Son. And now if you abide in Him, also your fellowship is with them also. So we are participating in eternal life through the work of the Son to bring us to life. And so this this complete abiding in Christ is the same as abiding with God in heaven, the same as abiding in eternal life. And that's what Jesus is saying. Now the Spirit of God is going to come to you, and He's going to make this manifest to you so that you will understand all that. But if you have been born of God, you are going to be abiding in eternal life with Him forever and ever. And so he says, he reiterates in verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So up until the time of Pentecost, when the Spirit of God came upon the disciples and they became ordained as the apostles of Jesus Christ because they were gifted by the Spirit of God. So in Ephesians 4, when it talks about the gifting of the Holy Spirit, he first gave apostles, So these disciples were gifted at Pentecost with the gift of apostleship. That's when the church began, when you had the first pouring out of the gifts because we're all baptized into one body and we all have different manifestations of the Spirit. We're all gifted by the Holy Spirit because we're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And the first ones that were part of the church were the ones that were gifted with the gift of apostleship. And so on Pentecost these disciples stood up with the gift of apostleship declaring the truth of God that they now remember everything that Jesus told them. And now it all makes sense because they have the Spirit of God to teach them. That's what he says. The the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So on the day of Pentecost, when they were filled with the Spirit, they were indwelled with the Spirit, they were baptized into the foundation of the church body and they were given the gifts. The first gift they were given was the gift of apostleship. Now, they had other gifts too, but they had the gift of apostleship. It means that they were the ones that were commissioned by Jesus Christ as his particular bond servants to lay the foundation for the church and for the church to grow on that foundation that was laid down by these men, these apostles. And so he is in them to guide them in the understanding of all the things that Jesus had told them throughout the earthly ministry for three years that He was walking with them, instructing them and instructing them. They didn't understand it, they didn't get it, but now they get it. Does that make sense? Because they have the indwelling Holy Spirit now. Now, how does that apply to us? Okay, so the Spirit of God does not give us special revelation. We're not apostles. He did give the apostles and the prophets special revelation. So they were able to take even the things that Jesus said, and then they were given special revelation to give understanding to the church about things that were still to come that Jesus didn't say, all, the, all that. But they were given special revelation from God to write down the finished Word of God, the finished New Testament. Now we have the Spirit of God abiding in us to instruct us, to guide us in the understanding of what has been written down. Not to get new revelation, so we're not given the gift of the Spirit of God in us so that we might get new revelation from God that wasn't already given to the apostles. What the Spirit of God does is we study the Word of God, the Spirit of God takes that Word of God and it causes us to grow. And we become transformed. And that's what Romans chapter 12 means when it says, present your body as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, which means instead of laying your body on an altar where they kill the body and offer a sacrifice, as those who have already been sacrificed through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross... Our bodies are to be a living sacrifice, which means we also die to the flesh. We put our bodies on the altar and saying, I'm dying to my flesh. I'm going to live for Christ. That's our reasonable service of worship is to present our bodies as a sacrificial. In other words, we don't have the right to live our lives the way we want to live it. We've offered that up as a sacrifice. We don't have to die physically to do off that sacrifice. We have to offer it up as a dead flesh that we might live out the reality and use this body for the glory of God. Okay, so first off, he says, offer up your body as a living sacrifice. Then he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what does the Spirit of God do to cause you to be transformed? Your mind has been instructed all your life by the teachings of the world. You hear it all the time. The world says this, the world says that. Your mind has been taught by your experiences and by your, the words that you've heard. Your mind is filled with all kinds of wrong information. Your minds are amazing things. You collect data from every source. And you have experiences. And you have people telling you about this and about that. You have false witnesses telling you things that are not true. That's what the devil did to Adam and Eve. He gave false witness. So you're hearing all these things. And now he says here, do not be conformed to any of that. Do not be conformed to the teaching or the instruction or the words of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove the will of God, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. So what you're doing is you're allowing the Spirit of God to take the truths of Scripture As you study the Scriptures, as you pour through them, as you hear the Word taught, as you hear the Word preached, and you're studying the Word of God, you're allowing the Spirit of God to take things that are the revelation of God put down in the Word of God to change the way you think and have your minds renewed so that you can think correctly according to the Word of God. So the Spirit of God takes the truth of the Word of God and makes it truth to you. He applies it deep in your heart. That's what He did at salvation. Look in Romans chapter 10. And we'll have to close here in just a second so these guys can go on over. In Romans chapter 10, when He's talking about the salvation of Israel, and He's talking about the, that the Israel will be saved the same way that the Gentiles were saved. In, in verse t- chapter 10, verse 1, the breath in my heart and desire and my prayer to God is for them, is their salvation. So He's talking about the salvation of Israel. So we use this chapter here as the, our evangelistic tool and we preached evangelism by, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. But actually, that's true, but actually this is a, this is a chapter dealing with the salvation of Israel, and mainly the salvation of Israel in the future, when all Israel will be saved to the second coming of Christ. But anyway, he goes down to verse 17, and he talks about the faith that will allow you to call upon the name of the Lord. In, chapter thir- in verse 13, whoever called upon the name of the Lord was saved, and then he talks about with the heart, man believes, righteousness. And then he says in verse 8, he said, that is the word of faith which we are preaching. So it's the preaching of the truth about Jesus Christ and about His death on the cross, about His sacrifice for our sins, the gospel message of all that Jesus accomplished through Himself. That's the faith he's talking about. And then he says in verse 17, faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. That word is not logos, that word is rema. If you look at the word rema, it means that a word goes forth accomplishing the intent of the word. So the intent of the word that goes forth by the Spirit of God is the intent to bring faith into heart, and it accomplishes what is intended. So the Spirit of God does the same thing in after we are born again, after we receive faith, the righteous live by faith. What that means is the righteous, those who have been born by God and have faith to save them, now they have faith to live out the reality of that by the instruction of the Word of God that is implanted deep in their heart. And the same way that the faith came in the first place to save your soul, the same way as the faith comes to live out the reality of that born-again life. And so now, as we study the Word, it causes us to live by faith. It goes deep in heart and it becomes settled truth. If that settled truth is settled by the Spirit of God and you understand the truth of God that is settled in your heart, it allows you to have true assurance of all things. And you live out of the power of that heart because it has been transplanted, been transformed with a thinking that is in line with the truth of the Word of God. And just as you were given faith at the beginning when you were born again, you're giving the faith to understand and and work out your salvation with fear and trembling because the Spirit of God is giving you that truth to live by. So those who are born of God and have faith, live by faith. And faith to faith. How do you know that you're saved? Because I believe in Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't a one-time deal. Well, I made a decision back when I was 10, and therefore I prayed a prayer, and now I'm, I know I'm saved. Well, that's a pretty weak assurance because everything, everything since then, I may have lived terribly. The reason I know I'm saved is because right now, right now, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And right now, I have a desire to be holy and righteous and live for Him. And I have a desire to walk with Him. That's how I know I'm saved is because the obvious evidence in my heart is that I love God. And I love His Word. And I love the commandments. And the more I study His Word, the more I grow in that knowledge of Him and that desire for Him and that understanding of Him. And then it becomes objective truth that I've been born of God because this is true about me. And so you're not walking around in some kind of uh, hope so or some kind of mystical relationship. It is a true relationship that is being affected day by day by the Spirit of God in you. So he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled. Let not it be fearful. Jesus is going away. He's going to provide them a helper to come to take his place. And he's going to give us peace. I think I had a real good friend that passed away. uh, And one of the things that that he focused on more than anything else, he, he came to me and said, you know how many people have their whole lives without any peace? He said, the most blessed thing we have as believers is to have the peace of God knowing that we have peace because we've been made right with God, but not only that, because of our faith and living out that faith, we can have peace in the midst of a turmoil situation. And the Lord taught me that in a real vivid picture when we had our first son. uh, We were living in Savannah, Tennessee, and he was a small child, toddler, and we had dire warnings of tornadoes coming. And it was bad. Savannah has a lot of tornadoes anyway. But anyway, so I you know, I was looking at the sky. So I took my son out and I was looking at and boy the, the wind, the clouds were just dark. It was it was ominous. It looked really bad. And my little boy sound asleep. <laughs> I mean, his daddy had him. He was sound. He he wasn't concerned about anything coming. He didn't know. He wasn't worried about the tornadoes. He wasn't worried about the clouds. He wasn't worried about the wind. He was just sleeping right there in his daddy's arms. And it just showed me a vivid example of no matter how crazy this world is, we have the peace of God because we're in the arms of Jesus. And it is amazing understanding when we get to that point where we can live in faith and not in fear because... Who is our Lord, the one who has control over all things?